if I'm wrong. Oh, wow. And here we are. This is the debrief episode 17. Oh, God, we're at 17 already. Yeah, I know, right? Um, wait till we get to 100. That'll be a bit more exciting. Um, Hopefully. Maybe 20. Maybe we'll get that far. Who knows? Yeah, keep it going. Um, so, I'm Shevler, and we have the ever beautiful Emzo <laughs> uh, with us today. And we are going to talk about casting. And the way this is mostly going to go is I'm going to uh, pick Emzo's brains on some things that we might not know about in the casting, um, hopefully. And then we'll just possibly have like a bit more general discussion what we'd like to see in the future, um, things like that. All the deep dark secrets revealed. All the deep dark secrets. The whole plan is not to uh, create too much drama, talking about our what's it, M- Enzo's colleagues. <laughs> Maybe that is the plan. <laughs> Best of Who luck. Knows? Who knows? Who is Enzo's favorite caster? Who does he like casting alongside? Who does he like the least? Just me. I'll go in. Yeah. Enzo will cast alongside himself. Yeah. I'm my own favorite caster. Yeah. <laughs> he just casts through a mirror. Um, so, um, where should we go with this? Uh, what? I suppose we could, like, I could start off with something really out there is um, what did you think of casting alongside Flynn? Because he spoke quite highly of you um, at Invitational. Um, so and... I, I cast it with him all the way going back to uh, like DreamHack Montreal and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and Milan as well. So I mean, I I like casting alongside Flynn, and I, I was I had suggested him to take my place as well when um, I was gone for this the neck thing. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, he's I think he's good at what he does. He obsesses about the game, so he knows it very well, and uh, I think he does a good, really good job on the shout casting. So I, I've I've never had a problem casting with anyone. I I mean, I usually get told. I'm like the favorite person to cast with mostly just because I'm like flexible to however people cast in, in the sense I'm not trying to take over the mic necessarily. I'm not trying to uh, force whatever my style on them. It's just cast alongside however they want to do it. So usually casting is smooth with most people. And I don't think I have anyone that's like, oh God, I don't want to cast alongside them for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Flynn, I think it does a pretty good job at it. And I think is uh, is doing very well uh, so far with what he's doing. So I mean, I'm glad to see more casters able to do like well with this game, just because you know a lot of them worked very hard, especially through CCS. I mean, CCS kind of became not just kind of a training academy for teams and players, but also for casters. Mm-hmm. And um, you were talking about that sort of flexibility. Um, can we like dig a little deeper into the way that sort of how do you cultivate that flexibility? Um, I suppose and still. Can you still have an individual style? Because we've got some like we've got some fairly sort of uh, like unique styles of casting um, amongst off like off for main casters um, with uh, like Intero being obviously a very like uh, dominant personality, um, and that kicks Intero like partnership is obviously quite unique. Yeah, I think there's some different perspectives as well on what uh, how the casting necessarily should go. And there's been some shifts over time, uh, especially going all the way back to the beginning. Like usually what I tell people when, when casting with them for the first time is just kind of what uh, Panky had kind of told me when I first started, which is what, you know, uh, kind of how the flow would go in general. Although, to be fair, it doesn't necessarily go like this uh, all that much, but it's the idea is just this is kind of the backbone of it, which is uh, that during the first minute or so, that's when there'd be free time to talk analysis you know, that would be more of my time to talk because that's usually before kills start going down and stuff like that. If kills start going down to just kind of hand it off to the to transition out of what I'm saying, if I, you know, say the kill in the kill feed, transition off and pass it off to the play-by-play to just kind of take it from there and kind of ramp up the action in discussion. And that's usually going to happen more so during the last two minutes of a round. But there could be some space to breathe in the middle of that if the action just kind of goes up and then back down. Um, and then... At the end of the round, they'd also have to do some pre or post round analysis, basically, uh, and that kind of transitions back into that first minute. And that's basically the format. And yeah. so that's what I tell them is to basically go with that format. Yeah. And uh, um, I, you know, some some people do better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so obviously, if you're like um, 
not familiar with the like sort of the two defined dynamics. Obviously, Enzo can correct me as well uh, on this if I'm wrong. But casting is usually made up of two people. One who does the more analysis dominated side of this, which is uh, Enzo in this example, and then the one, the individual that carries more of the play by play as the kills start going down, that sort of thing. So that's sort of the, the split that we have here. I'm yeah, I mean, you can think of it as, as two different things you're, that's, that's going on generally during a game is you're either talking about what's happening on the screen or you're talking about things around what's happening on the screen. In that case, it may be analysis or maybe what's more referred to. The idea behind a, a color cast or analysis is you're you're adding color to the broadcast, whether that be adding player history or uh, things about the teams, um, information about past strategies and meta, um, things like that. You're just you're adding extra things to the broadcast, whether that be to educate or just to entertain or to, you know, just add a bit more information to things going on. Add some context is the way I usually think of it. You want to add a lot of context to everything that's happening because not everything you're talking about is necessarily relevant in the sense of. It's predicting what's going on or anything like that. It's more just here's some context, especially for people who are new uh, and haven't watched a ton of Pro League. It might be helpful information for you. Obviously, we try not to repeat the same stuff every single broadcast for people that may be new, but it's, you know, you still kind of, things kind of go up and down in terms of repeating stuff like that. And so we, we generally originally divided the casting roles into kind of those two. I'm really the only kind of holdover of not really doing much play by play. Um, kicks pushed for a while uh, during kind of year two to just have a mix rather than having divided play by play and analysis. I mean, I'll be honest. I still think the, the divided play by play and analysis works smoother and better um, because then there's no kind of weird jarring back and forth between the two different voices of who's doing play by it leads to a smoother flow between no one's really kind of trying to hand off the play by play uh or the it, it's just i think it's a smoother dynamic in terms of who talks about what uh, how how you go about things who's kind of acting as the host versus who's acting as uh, someone that is adding information to it uh, who's asking questions who's answering stuff like that i think there's a bit of dynamic to it but uh, Kicks and Tail, for example, when they first were starting their kind of duo together, uh, worked on things like hand signals and stuff like that to be able to signal to each other to hand off talking and things like that. So they've worked really hard to kind of get the dynamic that they have. And I think that's great. The only problem is uh, you got to cast with new people and you've got to try and work on that again. Like even when I've had to cast with Intero, like sometimes I'm not sure if his hand signal is him trying to hand it off to me or him trying to take it back to be able to talk about what's going on. So it is it is something that you kind of have to work on. Uh, that's why there's always the thing of duos is there's a certain amount of chemistry or uh, just ability to, you know, that kind of finishing each other's sentences sort of. You have an idea where the other person's going to go, how they're going to wrap it up, where kind of the ebb and flow of a conversational is something that usually is kind of referred to as that chemistry. And I think uh, if, if you get that through hand signals, great. If you get it through uh, just kind of knowing where within a round to talk, or if you get it through, like, this is the kind of things I'll talk about, this is the kind of things you'll talk about, everyone kind of has a different format to how they do it. On my way, the, the reason I say it's flexible is usually I tell people that, you know, that minute, two-minute rule kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to do the analysis. I'll pass off to you if kills start happening. Otherwise, you know, I'll just talk about what, what happened during the round and what might happen during this round and what the setup's like. And we'll just kind of go from there. And usually that works very well. And I'll usually defer and not try and talk over uh, the play-by-play if they're going. If there's a bit of a lull, you know, maybe I'll interject something or throw in a joke or whatever. But otherwise, during the, especially the last minute, it's kind of their show to run, especially the last 30 seconds. Um, it's generally, uh, I'll hold down my cough button, which is uh, essentially a, a mute button, uh, to make sure that I don't accidentally interject something. Just Because, you know, you get excited to get into the action. So sometimes I have to actually do that just to make sure uh, and it's a reminder to me and also a visual hand signal to the play-by-play that like I'm not going to be interrupted. So obviously you talked about like hand signals and um, things like that. You almost need like a manual in theory or at least like a guide. Here's a handy guide for... Um, yeah, it's all the stuff that you don't see because the camera's not on. Yeah, it's something that um, actually makes lands quite special if you're able to watch... Uh, like the casters casting uh, because you can see the interactions between e- between them. It was something that I found really fascinating um, uh, watching you cast. I can't remember. It must have been on the second day at Invitational. Um, I'm sitting in the stands watching you cast and um, the way you're casting is so conversational. So you're like, you're standing there and sort of turning back and then turning to the caster as if you're like, 
illustrating the point. Here's what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. Uh, which is really fascinating to see. And it's something that obviously like those of us that are like sort of massive fans of um, not only the pro league, but also the talent, um, I'm sure would like find it fascinating to be able to watch like sneak sort of um, behind the scenes and watch everything like that. But there's definitely an energy too that comes from doing it live and having that crowd there and stuff like that. It's it's a very, very different dynamic from sitting in a studio in front of a camera. And there's there's that whole conversational style thing is, is a little weird. You're you're not just having conversations with each other, you're supposed to also be having conversation with the audience. And so the really difficult part for me, and I'm sure you you, you won't be able to unsee it in the future, but is I still really have trouble uh just focusing on one thing, either the camera or the person, I tend to just go back and forth, back and forth. I just, I don't know, I get a little, uh, my neck on a swivel kind of thing. And, and so it's always one of those things I'm working on is, uh, it is weird to talk to just a camera on a tripod as if you're talking to an audience. And I think it comes more natural for some people than others. I, yeah. I've done a lot of uh, podcasting in the past, but that has no camera involved. I mean, technically this is a podcast, but. Generally, I'm not usually talking to a camera. I didn't do a lot of Twitch streaming or anything. I'm not used to doing a lot of uh, talking directly to a camera. I'm used to talking to an audience live and doing teaching. Uh, and so it's it's a very, very different dynamic that you have to get used to that I think a lot of people uh, don't necessarily have the experience of until they finally do it. And it's like, oh, this is kind of weird. I mean, it's even weirder when there's multiple cameras. Like sometimes when we do the analysis desk stuff and there's multiple cameras to look at and you have to pay attention to which one has a light. That's even more difficult. But uh, overall, it is a little weird to have a conversation with this person and mm -hmm. these people and kind of smoothly do it so that there's yeah. no breaks. It's not kind of jarring or weird. Yeah. Um, so also to, uh, I guess, sort of explain a bit more, um, Enzo's reference to a light is which camera has the red light on so showing which is live. Um, and sometimes it conflicts with three more than one. It looks really weird when you're looking at the wrong one. I don't know if you guys watched any of the USN in the past broadcast. We had two cameras. One was for a wide shot, one was for a tight shot. And there was always confusion which one uh, was on at the moment because we had them for different parts. And we kind of changed it up as we went. And the, the TV, to be able to see um, where like you see yourself was a little too low. And that's the thing is uh, we've had to adjust over time the positioning of the TV because if you don't see yourself, it's hard to see like how's your positioning, how's your alignment, um, you know, how much you in frame, how, how centered are you, things like that, that do matter. It looks a little jarring if people are too asymmetrical and things like that. And you don't want to look like you're looking at the, the actual screen. You want to look like you're looking at the camera. And so you don't want to look off to the TV. So we couldn't sit there and like look at the TV to see how, you know, are we in the wide or tight? And so we'd be, I'd be looking at the wrong camera half the time because uh, there was no light on it to indicate this was the right camera. And so you do, you do need that light to be able to tell. If you don't, then it's just like it, it looks very, very weird when you're looking at very off camera, like like how I'm looking right now. It just yeah, looks you're strange. sort of almost looking behind um, the individuals. Um, it's it can like kind of disengage the audience, yeah. unfortunately. Hmm. It's uh, it's weird how that sort of thing can like. Um, actually sort of affected so much. Um, so one other thing, well, one other thing, there are many other things, um, but uh, you talked about um, with color casting, uh, we had uh, adding depth, um, history to the game. Do you, obviously the game has now got history. We haven't been a, like doing this like for like very long, so going much further back, how did color casting? How do you think color? Well, either from your own personal experience or your like um, from what you've seen, color casting without the history behind the game. Um, how was that managed? So I mean, for me. Uh... I'd spent a lot of time like kind of analyzing the game uh, for the website I was making before I started casting. Um, just really, I don't know, I just I, as a game designer, I really like to think about the game and uh, the emergent kind of properties of it, which led to a lot of thinking about the strategy and the possibilities and a lot of the, the potential future for where things could go gameplay-wise. Like when we were talking about vertical play before it was actually a thing, um, and then that kind of evolved or things like that where, where you're trying to spot trends uh, sometimes before they become, you know, a history to talk about. Um, but also, yeah, obviously it has a huge history now. But even when we first started, there was still, you know, that 
things were changing as DLCs were released and things like that. You, you're just trying to look for any shifts that happen over time. Like we would always talk about the the shift of like Castle, for example, when that operator kind of uh, fell off for a while and then came back without being changed. Um, you're looking for any kind of trends. And, and as an uh, I, I can't even say analysis right now for some reason. Uh, as an analyst. Uh, my big thing is looking for patterns. So rather than saying like this guy always does this or this guy does that, I'm looking for overall patterns of things like uh, what are some trends I can spot? What are some things I'm noticing work and don't work rather than saying like this should work or that should work. It's more like, have I seen this work in the past and what's different now? A lot of that, I mean, uh, to me, it's a lot about spotting those patterns to be able to identify if I'm saying like, why didn't they do this or they should have done this? It's not based on my personal opinion necessarily of like, this is how they should play the game. It's based off of what I saw in the past that worked for whatever reason. Maybe I'm, may, I may miss a detail on why it worked. It's hard to say because we have a very limited spectator view, but at the same time, it's, it's me just kind of thinking high level about here's the way the game's been played. Here's what's worked. Here's what hasn't. Here's uh, what some teams should be trying. Sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't sometimes it's a little confusing when we see teams do things without being able to hear their comms without necessarily knowing their internal strategies obviously we're not going to be able to go to the team and be like yo can we see your strat book and they're going to explain it to us and then we're going to be able to do all that so we have to do a lot of guesswork now obviously we can talk to players we can try and watch their streams and there was a lot of especially in the early days i would spend a lot of time watching the go for streams of players like snake and things like that who had comms on during their go for matches because they would stream them because there was no one really casting them and that was a huge insight a lot of times into how the players were thinking what kinds of things that they were trying to do unfortunately we don't have that as much anymore and a lot of the way people play rank doesn't really give out much when they're streaming so you just don't have the same level of access through that kind of medium that you used to have in terms of internal team comps yeah you, you could you could play with the players you could talk to the players but that's still going to give you a little bit different perspective than uh you would have had just directly hearing what they're doing during an actual match, even though the go fours maybe weren't as serious as pro league, it still was a was something that was useful to, to spot just things the way players think and those trends. So I keep leading with these massive so's. Um, obviously, this is still what you're trying to do, but it's harder. I suppose I'm simplifying what uh, you've you've just said there, but. Um, is it as easy, I suppose, aside from not being able to see, like, not having the insight into the comms, are the patterns as clear now? Or has the game grown to a point where the patterns are less noticeable, do you think? I suppose I'm going a little off away from the casting here, but I'm just curious. I, mean, I think it's think. it's a lot more difficult um, because there's there's a lot more high-level strategy in terms of even misdirecting other teams. So there's so much almost disinformation that starts to build into it to where you can't tell what is uh, a team following a specific strat versus a team trying to counter-strat the other team or uh, some player just doing something off the top of his head or a call that was made out over the comms. Because the game's gotten such a complexity level that it doesn't have that sort of straightforward uh, iterative nature to building on top of the strategies and the metas that now it's so difficult. There's so many teams and so many other leagues and so many other things to follow that I think the chances of saying something that's wrong as a caster now is much, much higher. Uh, and it's much riskier to say anything definitive because you just don't know. It, it's it's a lot of having to guess. And I know some people are like, you know, the, the casters are lacking knowledge on this or that. And it's like, honestly, it, it's impossible to know everything. Every, every team and every set of players knows their own thing. They know what they could try and guess about other teams as well or what they've heard on the, the kind of internal player grapevines, things like that. A lot of the internal crap talking that they have, things like that. But uh, everyone's just guessing at the end of the day, and it just gets harder to guess accurately. And the trends themselves tend to shift quickly as well as the different regions play very differently. And that tends to kind of throw things off as well because you know they, they will shift how they play sometimes from week to week or the map or the operator bands can throw a, a big uh, change in how they have to play their strategies that they're planning for. That is just, it's, it's just a very, very complex environment now. And I think uh, 
you know, you, you have to take everything uh, thought about and said with a grain of salt, but the trends still could be there in, in certain aspects. You could still notice trends in certain ways certain sites are played or certain operators, but they're going to be much smaller and much in, much more infrequent now in terms of whether or not you can kind of predict or add a ton of context to anything individually that isn't semi-guessing. I'm about to leave with so again. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so we've got like the obviously it's a bit of a risk, and I imagine this is something that I uh, is probably pleasant about having CGG able to provide statistics. Probably does support um, or make it more secure, uh, saying some things a bit more definitively. Um, yeah, it, it definitely helps to have hard stats to back things up. And I know, I'm sure you've noticed Milos will bring his tablet to the desk, and I, I do the same just to have a way to be able to look stuff up, especially when the cameras, um, to be able to yeah. kind of verify something. I personally try and not say statistical stuff without at least a disclaimer if I don't have the information like written down or in front of me. But it's yeah. difficult to do because you want to say like definitive stuff, but at the same time, you can't have it all in your head. Flynn actually does a pretty good job, I've noticed, of having a lot of good – he has a pretty good memory at the moment. But mm. I've noticed with most of the casters, trusting your memory is a good way to end up being <laughs> inaccurate sadly yeah. just because our memories get biased by a lot of different factors and i've noticed as well like it's very easy to get biased by what you notice when you're casting um like let's say you you're watching a certain player and they're having a lot of really standout plays but statistically some other player you wouldn't even paying attention to was just uh, overall like their kd is just insane for that match you just didn't even catch it yeah. uh i've noticed especially when i go to do land preps like when we go to prep to go to a land uh because i know things are going to be a little bit different at the land because people aren't going to use the same strats and stuff like that it's always this sort of mix between hard facts and soft facts and the hard facts are things like the statistics like how many times did they ban this map how many times did they play this map what's their win-loss record on it what bomb sites did they play those are like factual pieces of information but factual pieces of information are telling you stuff about the past they're never really telling you as much about the future so when you want to like try and figure out like, okay, what are these guys kind of good at or what do they like or things like that? There's always kind of this softness to it, like in terms of like you want to you think about things you've just small things you've noticed. Uh, those kind of trends things I was talking about. I mean, our brains are built for pattern recognition. doesn't mean they're accurate, but it's good at spotting patterns, whether they're there or not. And so you're kind of relying on this sort of in-between, like where you have these facts to kind of back some things up, as long as it doesn't become bias confirmation. That's the other problem is you have to make sure that the, the statistics don't just uh, you don't only see the ones that confirm your biases that you have already. So it's this weird kind of line you have to navigate because if you go too much off the statistics, everything you predict about like a land event especially is going to be wrong because they're going to change everything up. They're going to play the maps that they didn't play during the season, things like that. And you can start to predict that a little bit, especially for certain teams like G2 that that two uh, seasons in a row pretty much have like hidden maps by basically just not playing them the entire season. It's like, okay, gee, I wonder if they're going to play that at land. You know, stuff like that you can start to predict. But uh, I, CGG is very helpful because they provide a lot of extra statistics mm. that we don't necessarily get. We're we're doing a better job of, of getting statistics to the Pro League. But at the end of the day, like, there's always too much information. Uh, regardless of where you get it, it's, it's just figuring out how to, like, handle it as an analyst in general. Like, And that's something I actually studied some of this stuff on, like, how CIA analysts work, for example. It was interesting because, like, they have this this whole mentality about how they treat information and how you verify information or how you uh, try and draw conclusions from it. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult skill, and there's going to be a lot of guesswork in getting it wrong. And so it's always just kind of navigating this sort of, like, uh, I hope today things kind of go like I'm guessing. It's been interesting doing the NA pre-show to kind of practice that a little bit again as well in terms of like here's the maps i think they might play and i think i've been like maybe around like 30 percent, 50 percent right on some of that but yeah i mean definitely uh i think it's been cgg's been running a uh which i'm sure you've seen a caster prediction thing where cgg has uh their own predictions i'm not going to reveal who is doing those predictions because that would spoil all the fun but um and then uh going up against the casters from uh all different languages different regions um it's quite interesting to see who is getting the predictions right and uh predictions wrong i think last time i saw it now i'm sure i can be corrected here but 
uh, CGG was doing surprisingly well. Um, and maybe that's biased because we've, or like it's maybe it's rigged, uh, because we obviously got all of the stats. So we can just be like, oh, this is what the numbers are saying. But, um, yeah, there were people that, uh, I think inside, like, if you don't sort of borderline analyze, uh, the, the matches themselves, and you're not sort of almost looking at it like that, and you just follow the, you follow the pro league, but you don't necessarily look super, super deep into it. Um, might be quite surprising about like the, who's getting those predictions right and who's not. Um, and... No one's gonna get them one hundred percent. No one, yeah. no one knows because even if you, even if you knew what the team was planning to do, the other team might. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had we had some uh, we had a bit of an upset earlier this week already, um, and that was uh, Secret versus G two, of course. To um, me, the upset was Empire finally losing a match. Also, yes, yes. That's. Um, I mean, G two getting beat is not uh, that out of uh, no, sorts this season. Empire losing Secret was the first, well. the first big upset. Yeah. Yeah, so someone clearly unplugged the Russian uh, robots. It's not uh, like uh, it's not like Secret haven't beat G two before. So to me, yeah. like I, I, I mean, congratulations to them. Absolutely, that is fantastic. But at the same time, I was sad to see Empire lose. Yeah, well, I was just thinking about this for Secret though. We're getting a little digression here, but. Shouldn't Secret just spend the rest of this part of the season playing against G2 so that they can you know, get some points between them and their auto-relegation spot? You know, just only play G2? Because that seems to be the only thing they can consistently win against. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Um, all just aside, yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely challenging in the game with increasing complexity. Um, Gosh, I've now realized that I've got two questions. I don't know which one to go for. Um, I'm going to jump back, although we'll hold on to that complexity thought. Uh, we were talking about skills, and outside of like knowing about the game, presumably there are other skills um, or shoutcasting. Um, like you can have. Those are like sort of just the tip of the iceberg, I presume. And research, like analyzing information, handling data are probably just some of the additional skills that you have to have. Surely there are more. Oh yeah, I mean, there's obviously the the talking skill, right? Like if you can't talk smoothly with, you know, without constantly stumbling over your words, you do have to be able to talk relatively quickly. It's not like an auctioneer, but at the same time, you still need to be able to talk fluidly and quickly without having to spend a lot of time thinking about what you're saying. So some people could do that better than others. I know when we, we struggled sometimes when we'd have like a Canadian on the analyst desk, right? Because he's really good at thinking about what he wants to say, but he wasn't good at I think about it. I guess he was saying it still. So he just kind of like, he'd have like one or two things to say, and then that'd kind of be it. And, and same with some of the other analysts sometimes is they uh, they have really good insights, but they don't always have like a lot to say. And when you're a broadcaster, we, ha we have to fill a lot of time, especially for rehosts and things like that. Unfortunately, the broadcasts tend to get a bit too memey or jokey sometimes during some of those, um, partially just because sometimes we don't have a lot to talk about or to chew on. Uh, we don't have a break a lot of times to be able to like get our heads together and kind of think of like, oh, what can we talk about during this? It's like, we, we're throw back to the desk for a rehost. And you wonder why sometimes it gets too jokey or memey. It's because it's like, we don't even have time to collect our thoughts to be able to figure out what to talk about during that rehost because we didn't get a break to go off camera to like have a few seconds off the microphone. Because even when the camera's on us, the microphone is. And uh, we can only leave so much kind of dead air time. I mean, we probably don't let it breathe too much, but you know, so there's that whole thing, but that also has to do with, you know, that flow I was talking about with your co-caster. You have to be able to somewhat be able to tell when the other person's going to start talking and stop talking. You have to be able to kind of uh, have a sort of conversation with them and the audience at the same time without it being kind of awkward or talking over each other. It's like these weird sort of semi-social skills and cues and casting together in person is always like way, way easier than over the internet for anyone who's done both would, would definitely tell you. And you can always see that kind of when it comes to ones like CCS or other leagues where people kind of can't do it together. 
it's always much, much easier to read uh, signals from people and things like that in person. There's just those subtle body language cues that you pick up, even when you're just seeing them in your periphery. So stuff like that, obviously, if you're uh, if you have trouble with that sort of stuff, it'll be much more difficult to be in that role. Same with the talking, um, being able to kind of think on your feet a lot and improvise as well, um, because you're going to need to be able to come up with a lot to say. And the action is happening very, very fast. And sometimes there's not a lot to talk about. Sometimes there is. But you need to be able to pick up on what's going on and at least kind of roll with it. Especially as an analyst, you really have to like have things to say about it. And I know there's times I lean too much on filler and I, I try and stop doing that in terms of like, I'm just talking about things that are a bit more general and a little less deep. But also different analysts have different kind of styles. Like Kicks will go into very heavy detail on a specific play. Whereas I tend to stay more broad. And um, and that's not necessarily because I you know don't see what's going on. It's more just a, a, a choice in terms of different kinds of analysis for different audiences as well. Some of the audience that knows the game very well wants to hear Kicks is like very specific things about a specific angle and a specific part of that play, uh, things like that. Uh, I tend to try and so go for more of the the audience that's watching it a bit more for entertainment. Uh, isn't as like, oh, I know everything about the game kind of attitude as a lot of other people. But also I find that a lot of those situations that you're talking about in super high detail are very, very situational. And they, they rely on certain things happening within those minute fractions of a second or someone happening to have a hit reg go better his way or things like that. Uh, so sometimes those more specific things aren't necessarily revealing a whole lot as opposed to talking very generally about the broader trends and things that are a little more predictive or a little more indicative of, of a team or a, a meta shift and things like that. So it's just, you, you have your own style as well as an analyst. And so you kind of have to have something you bring to that. Personality is also something I think a lot of people look for, despite the fact that it's, you know, technically a, um, a, a job in terms of like providing information. You're also there to provide entertainment. So, uh, you know, over time, people kind of build up their personality and their voice, like anything else as a broadcaster. People get their own individual fans, things like that. I think a lot of people's fans are also built up from their streams that they do individually, um, things like that. And, you know, so you have kind of your own audience. Not everyone's going to like everyone. Um, and so you kind of have to have some thick skin as well um, to go into it, knowing that especially Twitch chat is going to be complete cancer most of the time. And it's just it's Twitch chat. That's kind of unfortunately the way it is. I don't know what the solution to that is, but... Uh, there doesn't seem to be one at the moment. Fortunately, that's not really, um, that's not our responsibility to fix. <laughs> no, no. So I wouldn't know where to begin. Um, uh, yeah, no, um, Twitch's chat is obviously, it's, I'd say it was 50% toxicity and the rest would be diehard fans for the casters or specific personalities um individuals players um or team like um some people just follow them like their football teams which is actually really cool to see um it's really fascinating to see um one thing that you also touched on which is actually is sort of a perfect loop around to the point that i wanted to make earlier I also realized halfway through you talking about this and talking fast and how Canadian took time to um, bring forward like a thought or something. I realized I'd make a terrible cast because I can't order my thoughts. And I sort of, it comes up in bits. Now I remember something else. I want to talk about something else, um, which would be very disjointed and uh, wouldn't follow much of a plot there. But um Finding the balance between catering for new players and um, like an obviously a very experienced um, spectating audience for the pro league. How, I mean, you've already touched on talking about it in a much broader sense. Um, and it's something that is commonly mentioned um, by that Kicks and Terror duo as well. How is there like a clear sort of way to do that? I imagine not. There's, there's always it's there's never a, a solution to a lot of these things. It's more just about finding a, a sort of balance because uh, you you can't segregate the audience necessarily unless you have like a second stream or something that's like a a restream with different casters for a different audience. Like you you can't really segregate it. Um, so you kind of have to just you have different talents, you have different shows. We alternate constantly, so it's not just one person doing this region or one person doing that region and things like that. So you know people come and go. You may have matches you like better than others. 
again, there's no solution to it. So it's, it's just different uh, people. And my focus sometimes is on helping kind of grow the audience a little bit because we, we have a problem with uh, during the pro league season, the growth being a little bit slow in terms of uh, numbers on the Twitch channel. And I mean, it's still going up, but it is a little bit of a slower growth compared to the event. So I try and keep in mind, if there's people watching that aren't as familiar, like there's a lot that doesn't make sense when you're first watching. And uh, and that's a big struggle for this game compared to some of the others is it's very difficult to spectate for the first few times in terms of trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And I, f- I find that like, uh, if you get too technical about stuff or, or are too uh, referencing stuff that's not on the screen or going too in-depth on something that happened earlier that you can't see anymore, like a specific play, like what I was talking about with some of the Kixis analysis, that's great for the people that know in, in their head what you're talking about, the angles you're talking about or the call-outs or things like that. But uh, when you're talking for a, an audience that isn't as familiar with it, it's like a lot of having to be able to talk about things that are on the screen or referencing stuff people can see or just little gentle reminders about like, here's the way this works, the way that works. And like, I know for some people it's annoying to be like, I already know that. It's like, that's great. Like, but you're not the only one watching. And But it's weird to think that when you're alone in your bedroom watching on Twitch, you feel like you're the only one watching. And so it's a different dynamic than being in like an actual live audience, you know, where it's obvious around you, like all the different fans for different teams and different things like that. Um, so you will get stuff like that. And then you have even the, the whole thing of like the caster bias and like, are they biased towards specific teams and things like that in general? No, no one's really biased towards a specific team. We have ones that we enjoy watching more or that we think are better or worse or things like that. You know, we have opinions and obviously if we did have opinions, it'd be kind of pointless to have us up there. You might as well just have a robot saying stuff, but uh, in general, we're not super biased and we're not like looking for one team to, uh, to beat the other or to just give a bunch more analysis or talk or attention to one specific team, stuff like that. It's not, it's not really like that. Um, but there are matches that will certainly be better than others or teams that are playing better than others. And we can't change the fact that if a team is doing way better than others, we're going to be probably talking about that or we're going to be probably criticizing a little bit the team that uh, is doing worse, but usually only if we have higher expectations of them. Uh, and that's what that's where we have a lot of issue too is is how much criticism is okay what forms of criticism are okay um obviously the only one that's a former pro player is kicks and that goes back to year one so he's been pretty well out of the mix uh for that as what as well for a while so a lot of us are quote-unquote out of touch in some ways with the pro scene because we're not involved in as i was mentioning earlier and so it, it's just a case of like we're criticizing from the perspective of uh, what our expectations are, what we've seen work, what we think logically makes sense from what we were able to you know discern from that. But it's always going to be opinion in that sense. But like I said, I try and keep mine more to uh, constructive criticism in the sense of like this team did that successfully. This team did that successfully. You're the third team to try it and, and you did it a different way and it didn't work. Maybe look at the way the other two teams did it because that worked for them kind of uh, attitude about it but at the same time there are some times where you watch critical mistakes and you're like what are you doing you know it's, it's hard to not be like that sometimes because uh obviously we don't know what's going on we, we don't know if th- sometimes a lot of times in the interviews we can ask and you find out it was just a bad call like someone made the wrong call or uh someone didn't have a piece of information or uh you know there was even a bug sometimes things like that yeah. Uh, we can't really know, but unplugging headsets, that sort of yeah, thing. yeah, or having there's, your headset on backwards like Astro. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing happens. Um, I've, I, I sometimes okay, so I sometimes just have days where the audio comes through. And it's probably a fault with my hardware. Audio just comes through on the wrong sides. Either that or the uh, in the wrong. game right now, I believe there's an issue with that. Um, that's, oh, I, I believe, uh, and they know about it to fix it, I believe. So, I mean, audio, so audio now, state I, of I the game so. and audio is a separate, it's probably a separate podcast. Yeah. Um, well, it's, you got to keep in mind, um, the way that a lot of the audio properties work in the game, it's more than just, uh, sound propagation. There's a lot of stuff that goes into the individual maps and the walls and the textures that help uh direct that propagation and so there's a lot of things that could potentially go wrong with such a complicated system being map dependent and so you have to keep in mind like so a lot of times when new maps come out there'll be weird sound issues and usually if we're able to report them and replicate them to uh ubisoft they're able to get them sorted out through the map team um but you have to keep in mind there's just there's so many like small little things to the way the sound engine works that yeah that could be a whole podcast in itself but just for people who don't understand it's more than just you know some logic code that makes the sound work there's a lot to it that's map dependent and this actually 
this is interesting because I just last week I was talking to Shas about how Ubisoft has improved generally over time. Now it might not appear like it for us as players um, at any level, um, but as consumers or spectators, but they have generally improved with addressing bugs and things. How much does or does the casting team have involvement with obviously not fixing them, but highlighting these things and I suppose pushing for change when something doesn't seem um, like it's either working properly or doesn't seem balanced to them? I mean, generally we have a lot of contacts within Ubisoft. We're also looped into a lot of the stuff with the pro players. Um, so that usually helps as well to be able to kind of, it helps us also know what's going on with the pro players, the issues that they're running into the, when they're talking to Ubisoft about it, but also for us to be able to chime in with our perspective, uh, especially if it affects the casting or the spectating or anything about trying to watch the game. Um, they also occasionally ask for our feedback. We'll have feedback sessions and things like that, um, which is super helpful. I mean, they are very, very interested in hearing a lot. The, the bottleneck isn't ever, I don't think, Ubisoft not wanting feedback. That's never an issue. They always want feedback. They get tons of feedback. They ask for it all the time. The bottleneck is always implementing the feedback. And sometimes that's a bottleneck in terms of like, we don't know how we want to solve that problem. I think is probably the biggest yeah. bottleneck they run into. It's never just, oh, we don't want to do the fix or we don't have the manpower or the money or some other thing that people usually think it is. It's more just, they tried what people said internally and it didn't work or wasn't the way they wanted to go about it in, in line with some other goals or some other things they haven't even released yet that people don't know about. And so it becomes a more complicated issue. And transparency is always difficult. I've been a game developer myself for many years. And so I understand like trying to be transparent with uh, the general public is pretty difficult in terms of how to actually kind of interface with the general public so that they understand those things without saying stuff that gets almost used against you as a developer. Um, and I ran into that. One of the things we had on the, the last game that I was on, luckily, was a player council, uh, similar to what Eve did. So we had a council of players that kind of represented uh, the general player base from different perspectives. And interfacing with them as a general kind of ambassador to the audience was very helpful with that. And they could understand the problems at a deeper level and then try and kind of reiterate, reiterate those to the general audience. And I know as casters, that's something we try and do as well as to kind of. Uh, help with that like I'm doing right now is trying to help explain some of the stuff without giving away a bunch of stuff that's like, you know, hey, guys, this is NDA, you don't talk about this. Just kind of general ideas in, in terms of what my understanding is as well. Um, but they do ask for a lot of feedback on spectating stuff as well. And some stuff gets implemented, some stuff it's like second spectator, for example, we've still been asking about since it got taken away in year one when they forced everything to dedicated host. Um, and so you know, there's things that get in there and there's things that not, but we've given them, I think, a lot of solid, uh, like forethought in terms of what they could be doing to improve the spectating experience. And I think, uh, if they're able to implement a lot of those, which they've implemented some, um, I think it will continue to improve. And they're, they are, I think, honestly, continuing to improve in terms of interfacing with the pro players, interfacing with the casters, interfacing with the general community. I mean, you still see the whole April Fool's thing. I think it was a good example of them uh, supporting the community with something. But you have to keep in mind, that wasn't just about an April Fool's event. That's demonstrating all that stuff they've been working on in terms of reskinning and things like that. You saw there was animated textures uh, yes. even for the stuff. So yes. obviously, that's that's also a glorified tech demo of a lot of the stuff that they're working on to be able yeah. to try and do more event stuff, try and do more stuff that interfaces with the community. So there's always so much behind the scenes with Ubisoft that you're not always going to see. And you have to keep in mind, they're a giant company as well. So they uh, they have to go through a lot of hoops to do stuff sometimes. It's it's a complicated thing, but I think overall, I agree with Shaz, they've definitely improved. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, again, digressing onto this uh, April Fool's uh, event and this sort of rise in short these short events um it's been thoroughly sort of uh i think it's really exciting you may you may love the like this temporary game mode you may hate it you may hate like the colors the noise the music i wouldn't say it's something that comes naturally to me i can be a bit of a grinch at points and sort of very bar humbug about stuff that seems overly fun um <laughs> especially if it seems forced fun but different audiences <laughs> um but the 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 exciting thing um in my mind this is such a digression but um is what it 
like potentially means for events in the future and the rise of like more skins um it's sort of just on like the more skins more charms more um operating uniforms um greater variety this is something the community is definitely like sort of pined for for some time and i think it also adds a bit more lightness and gives a bit more back to the casual player base as well especially seeing as like they're looking to implement a more pro league orientated ranked um now they're slow like we're slowly getting that because they want to bring in that pig and band things like that it's sort of going now but uh yeah like the all of the things that they sort of demonstrated like the the animated textures um, was something I didn't even clock initially. It, it just, I didn't even notice it until like sort of four days in or something. It was like, wait a second, that's moving. Uh, yeah. um, but sort of, it's exciting because of what might come next. That, yeah, that... To me, it, it helps represent something I talked about in a previous episode is this idea now that I think they found an approach to addressing both the casual and pro audience through how they uh, what they work on in terms of uh, appealing to those audiences so that everyone's kind of happy, um, which is the game balance skewing a bit more towards uh, the actual pro side in terms of like that is, you know, the competitive side helping balance the game. But then, you know, because the pro players might complain, oh, that's not fun or that's not fun because it's balanced this way. So they're trying to find fun in other ways that isn't just through overpowered operators, gadgets or weapons or things like that. It's more like, let's keep the game balanced and competitive as much as possible. But let's find other ways to have fun. Let's add more lore to the game or let's add more skins or fun things or events. But also the important thing is we never want this game to be pay to win, right? We always want this game to be something that can be financially hugely successful because that money directly supports pro league because that's pays for pro league right the the money that comes in through the revenue from these events so obviously pro league is not being played on the april fools thing right so that april fools thing doesn't show up in pro league but it directly funds it those people buying those skin packs is what's helping fund uh yes it doesn't fund the prize pool directly the way some of the other charms and stuff does but any revenue that comes into the company is revenue that they have then to be able to spend on things so having this sort of divide and saying okay we're not going to screw with the competitive side in terms of breaking it we're not going to make it pay to win things like that they even changed how they're doing the maps because the maps weren't something people were technically paying for with the season passes so i think they're just finding this sort of like balance between the two and i think that april fool's day again it was a representative of they can find that balance and, and that obviously people play for different reasons and people will play for different reasons over their even their lifetime people might start playing casually and play competitively people might start playing competitively and go back to playing casually but you want to appeal to each one of those different audiences and, and sometimes the same audience over different points in their life because this game's four years in now and people are playing sometimes up and down for different reasons sometimes they just want to you know get drunk and play or something and and not play super serious so it's not always going to be for everyone the april fool's david yeah may have rubbed some people the wrong way or some people might complain uh it, it may overstay its welcome but it represents something much uh, more healthy for the game in terms of balancing those two audiences and i think uh, hopefully this year is a good representative of that. Hopefully that event is is far from a one-off as that and the Halloween event show. A completely non-serious question. Should Pro League this week have been played on the new game mode? Unfortunately, uh, it really screws with the colors and the for people showing up on different uh, backgrounds and things like that. Like I would have I would have loved to see like a community tournament organized yeah. around it so that you could would... see some competitive play on it just for how would how would the casting even go about that? Spectating it, it would, it would be nice. very hard. To, to I mean, the casters would definitely be like making a lot of accidental small mistakes. I'm sure it would still be fun and all in good fun as long as the audience is enjoying it too. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, it's not you know competitive casting either, uh, but it would certainly be interesting. But yeah, you can't you can't do that in a serious pro league environment. And I and that's something I think has been in discussion for a while is what do we do about skins in a pro league environment as well because you don't want to introduce elements where it kind of screws we've had elements like that for example the shock drone that had to kind of get tweaked a little bit over time because the elite skin for it was a little bit problematic same with the the black eyes that did get toned back at first they were like nearly impossible to see and so that's always going to be a little bit of a small issue yeah skin skins will screw people is okay we often like hear such a, a like player orientated 
oh, I couldn't see the Twitch phone and can't see the webcam. How much, and I presume it's more like based on like the operator uniforms. Um, how much does that affect uh, like the casting? How are there like regularly um, like issues or no, maybe not issues, but do they get, do you get points of confusion when, you know, if everyone's running those yellow hazmat suits? That was the biggest one, honestly. The yellow hazmat suits, the banana skins, as we all call it. That was the, that was the biggest disruption we had by far because it really screwed with knowing who was who. And sometimes that was to the benefit of the attackers a lot of times uh, when there was less operators and you knew whether or not you killed a hard breacher and things like that or whether you killed Lion. It was, it was something that was – it screwed with us as casters. It screwed with the players. That was definitely the most problematic of them. Then we had the lasagna skins, as they were colloquially known as other many other different things. Uh, and so we've had we've had a few issues with that um, where, yeah, operator differentiation is a big issue because when the action's moving fast, there's only a few different ways to tell who's who. I mean, usually we know the game well enough to be able to tell operators off uh, gun sounds, small bits of like tennis shoes or other pieces of or the gun or uh, the, the outline through the wall. There's lots of different ways to tell. But at the same time, when things are going very, very quickly, especially for the play by play, it's especially hard. And I'm sure if you asked him, Terry, he'd tell you the same thing. Because he's he's definitely uh, had to struggle with some of that as well as I mean I'm not usually doing play by play, so I have a time to to be able to pick out a little bit more who's who. But it's still it it really screws with you, and so it's more just when multiple operators have a similar looking skin that causes the biggest problem mm. more so than people blending. Sneeze built up there, people blending in. That famous cough button coming in right? to save. The day maybe it's something got the I've reverse cost. cough button on right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one thing I want to there's one final thing on the casting before I go into uh, what you'd like to see in the future to help casting or and make it sort of grow and develop. Um, and that is comedy um, and meaning with the casting. Obviously, sometimes there's a balance to be struck there. Um, I don't think there's ever been a point where it's gone too far, as far as I recall. Um, maybe you would call it a different one or something where it did. But um, how do, how does that work? How do you presumably you have to sort of go to your best judgment? Yeah, it's um, it's gonna it's gonna come and go with stuff. It's like the problem with humor, of course, is not everyone's going to enjoy a joke. You're you're never gonna, it's not you're not gonna get the whole quote unquote room laughing uh, on Twitch. So it's it's one of those things where it's like people either enjoy it or they don't. It's it is better, of course, to keep it brief if if the joke doesn't land or the humor doesn't work or it's quote unquote cringe, cringe, cringe. You know, that it's better if it's brief. Is is I guess the important part of that balance is that if if something is not gonna work for everyone, it's better that it's short and you can move on to the next thing or try another joke or whatever. Um, but a lot of times it's just also keeping some levity to uh, the broadcast in terms of, yes, this is a serious competition. These people are playing for a lot of money. Things can get very heated in competitive environments in general, even from the audiences and the fans. The fans can get pretty heated too as they're watching stuff. And I think sometimes having a bit of levity is important to kind of remembering this is a game. We're all here to have fun, uh, even if you get a little bit passionate about it. So it is a balance. You don't ever want to have a completely dry broadcast with no humor. but if that's all you're doing, then you're not really adding a lot to the broadcast uh, for everyone in terms of adding uh, it. It's an infotainment, right? It's, it's entertainment, but with information provided as well. If you're not providing the information part either, then yeah. <clears throat> like I said about the rehost stuff, there's definitely situations where we have a little bit less meat to chew on, or maybe we've already burned up a lot of our topics. We have that issue sometimes where a lot of what we have to say has already been uh, burned up or used up in terms of we've already talked about it. People will be just as pissed about us repeating the same stuff as they would be about us making cringe jokes. So it's like, you know, what can you do in that sort of situation? Uh, stuff happens. We don't, we can't control the broadcast itself. We can't control when players are ready to start. We can't control uh, if production makes a goof or there's a glitch in the game. We just have to always roll with the punches live on camera on the microphone, no control over anything. And so sometimes we have to bring a bit of levity to our to ourselves to not get stressed about that as well. 
Um, and so you mentioned earlier the conversational tone. I think there's, you know, some balance to be found there as well, because you don't want it to be too conversational, whether that be with the audience or with the other caster, but you also don't want it to be too dry and just saying what's on the screen, like a teleprompter kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I hate to just lean on balance, but that is what is going to be as long as you just keep things within the, the right time windows and timing as, as everything is important with, with comedy. So what do you want to see going forwards? Um, spectators being a, something that's popped up several times this evening or this afternoon or this morning, whenever you are happy to be watching this, but uh, <laughs> I just realized I might've goofed there, but on like, the sort of future for casting for Rainbow Six. What, what do you personally want to see? And I suppose, what do we need to see? Luckily, like I said earlier, Ubisoft has asked a lot of those questions as well. And so we've been able to kind of direct them towards, at least from the spectator point of view, the things we want to see. And some of the important stuff's like, hey, we want to know if someone's down but not out, for example. I can't tell you how many times on a broadcast we're like, oh, he's down. Oh, wait, no, he's just at one HP. Things like that are obviously small bits of, of things that can lead to misinformation. Or things like being able to tell how many uh, echo drones are left. Or things like, you know, just all these small bits of information uh, that help the casters do their job better are all things we've relayed to Ubisoft and hopefully they'll be working on. And so that's a big one, right? Is, is a, us having the real-time information that will help us be able to actually call things correctly to not have to speculate so much or to not have to direct the observer. Marcio, can you take a look at this? It's always better if we could just passively pick up that information. We always talk to them as well about trying to find ways to have uh, secondary views that aren't necessarily on the screen. Like uh, sometimes, especially at LAN events, we've been able to do sometimes with the extra spectator slots, if we can get them a top-down view so that uh, especially the analyst can see what's going on overall, whether that be on, on the broadcast or not, so we can get a better idea where the strategy is going or anticipate stuff or talk about someone for the, spec or the, the observer to switch to, things like that. So all those extra bits of information add to our ability to uh, just easily move through a broadcast without mistakes and without uh, missing bits of information so that the spectator as well doesn't miss bits of information. But... That's all like, you know, small things we could add over time. More spectators definitely helps for that. Thankfully, they've got like the stuff with the um, multiple spectators during LAN events where we've been able to actually, uh, you know, have those for replays to show kills we weren't able to catch, stuff like that. Those kinds of things help as well for us because those kills we didn't catch as well sometimes. And so we'll get to see the replay at the end and be like, oh, that's how we died or things like that actually still even help us. Because um, keep in mind, most of the time we're still in the same shoes as the, as the audience because of that lack of control over everything that we have. So obviously we have to be able to pick up a lot of stuff just off sounding. Um, so the more information we have, the better going forward. That's, that's the big thing for casters is having information. And that's not just the spectating stuff. That's also statistics, you know, doing things like partnering up with CG, those little facts that, that Spencer will have pop up, you know, during the LAN events are, are fantastic bits of insight, sometimes good factual bits of stats that we wouldn't have in real time. Otherwise, um, like this is the fifth time this player has done it, this batch, you know, like we're not going to have that necessarily written down. So things like that are super helpful. Real-time stats, real-time information um, is always going to make things better for both the audience and the spectators and the uh, uh, casters themselves. So anything like that going forward will be a, a big, big deal. Um, outside of that, obviously, if we could find better ways for spectating to work, it's always a struggle, right? Because we're always trying to balance things. We're constantly having discussions with the observer, with Ubisoft, with uh, amongst ourselves, how to improve spectating the game itself. It's a tricky one because like, you, it's a first-person shooter. But if you're in first person, you're missing so much information because it's not just like CS where it's mostly horizontal play. You've got the vertical element as well that really matters in this game. But angles also matter, and you can only see those in first person, really. So it's... There's no perfect balance of like, we can't ever see all the information we really need to see to know how a play is actually going down, especially in a team environment like it is where there's cooperation going on among everyone. So like 50% of what's happening is always going to be inferred. And I don't know if anyone honestly has a solution for that, but I think going forward, continuing to work on that amongst all of those groups, I think will be super important to this game to make it so that it is something you could watch as casually as football. Yeah, that's, I um, mean... Like that's the 
that's the funny thing actually football um whether it's uh american football or it's soccer or like think of all of the sports that um like aren't sports there's no there's no sport except maybe uh sort of car racing of its many types that is in first person yeah i mean you have to keep in mind too the the big struggle with esports versus uh regular traditional sports is most traditional sports have a ball to follow. So you can follow pretty much all the action is going to be around that ball, whether it be soccer or basketball or football. That's all you really have to pay attention to most of the time is around the ball, what's happening. Yes, there are positioning and other things you could kind of catch in the periphery that sometimes might be important, or like in football with the actual setup of the play and how the ball pass might happen. But those are minor in comparison. Whereas Siege, you can't just follow the diffuser. Because most of the time, nothing's happening with the diffuser, right? Like, people are hanging back, getting ready. When the plant is going down, when the execute's going down, you absolutely could try and follow the diffuse and the counter diffuse and things like that. But it's there's nowhere near uh, a focal point in this game the way there is in sports. And I think that will always continue to be a struggle uh, without finding some way to be able to address that, at least in some aspect. It's just... What do you follow? Do you follow the person going for a long roam flank halfway across the map? Do you follow the, the, the guy just sitting on his echo drones waiting for the moment when they're going to stop you know, or start planting? That What do you watch? You, you never know what is going to be important to the action with 10 players and multiple gadgets that can be spread across the map. So the real takeaway from this podcast today has clearly been that casting an eSport, especially Rainbow Six, it's a lot harder than casting any other sport. Honestly, it's fun though. Like, so it's a game. It's a good game. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to watch. Uh, definitely don't take away that uh, that that casting this game sucks in any way because it definitely doesn't. It's, there's always room for improvement, but it's like I definitely would be cast rather be casting this game than than many others. So uh, I think overall, it's it's got a, you know it's got stuff to work on, but I'm I'm okay with that because they are working on them. What makes it special to cast this game? If we're going to end on a positive note, let's get yeah. super positive. For me, it's the depth, honestly. Uh, like, I try and watch some of the other stuff, like Counter-Strike, and for me, the only thing that, like, really could add depth to it, to me, is, like, the the econ stuff. Because outside of that, it gets very repetitive. And, I, and that's not to denigrate Counter-Strike. I know there's small details that matter. I know you can super get into it, and there's lots of little things you could catch. And uh, there's way more to it than on the surface. But Siege has so much more depth, in my opinion, in terms of variability. No two rounds, the exact setup, the exact attack, the exact whatever, never goes down the same way. You can have the same result, maybe, in the end, in terms of whether one team wins or loses that round. But the rounds never, ever repeat themselves in, in a very like repetitive fashion. It's always highly, highly variable. And it's there's so many things to talk about within that in terms of different factors that involved uh, in that and, and different things that could go different or didn't go or things that could do or ideas for the future or new operators. It's just it's, it's way more depth than you could ever chew on in one given match and feel like you've you've done it all. I mean, I've been casting this. The, going on four years now like because i started in like i think it was like june you know year one and so it's just it's crazy like how much it's changed and evolved and continues to do so i don't think uh, outside of like mobas any other game touches these this kind of game in depth and i know uh for me uh, mobas lack other elements that this lacks in terms of like the vertical play things like that so it's it, it's always uh interesting i suppose in terms of what there is to, to see well, on that note, I think that's probably just about it. Um, unless there's anything extra that you might want to add about casting. Um, anyone? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, I think, an awesome uh, job. And I know a lot of people want to do it. I think there's lots of stuff to cast. So everyone, if, you, if you're interested, should try it. But we have uh, always new talent kind of coming on board. And I don't think they've announced the USN talent. So, uh, so keep an eye out for that in the future, because uh, casting season's growing as well for this game, and uh, I'm glad more things are getting coverage. And there's always go four matches that could yeah. be more casted. So, do you have any tips for uh, an aspiring caster? Um, I, it's, I mean, you, you need to do it first, like uh, whether that be in private or not. Uh, that's the only way you know if it's going to work is do it, and then do it with feedback and continue to improve from there. It's, it's not. Uh, 
it's not for everyone. If you can't necessarily just do a lot of the stuff we were talking about scale-wise earlier on, maybe it's not for you. You can always do it for fun. Mm -hmm. We'll have to go back and put a clip together or a highlight together of all of your skills you need to be a caster almost and have that as a separate title clip. One day I'll have at least one of them. <laughs> well, I mean, we know that you have the uh, the dad jokes down with the all of the Twitch chat cringe that you... Yeah, I'm, you I'm glad everyone makes me feel so old with them. <laughs> I mean, you're the one making the dad jokes. Um, on that note, um, thank you very much for joining me, Emzo, um, and letting me pick your brains like this. I know it's probably been a little one-sided and you've been put on the spot to do most of the talking, um, but I really appreciate it. And it's always wonderful to hear what's inside your head or some of what's inside your head. <laughs> um, but on that note, I think that's all from us. This has been the CGG debrief episode 17 on casting as by myself, Shoveler, and the wonderful Enzo. Until next time. Yeah. See you guys on Monday for the NA pre-show. Exactly.